Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex, live from Interstate 81. We are a podcast on the road. We are a podcast that's back for the first time in like a month, Ricky LeBlue. Why is that? Well, uh, both of us have been pretty busy. You, you've been settling into your new home in Charlotte, and I'm a jealous man. Um, you're also going to an Orioles game tomorrow, and I am a jealous man. Um, basically, I'm just living in your shadow. Uh, but more importantly, uh, Mike McDaniel is now a father, uh, which is absolutely awesome. Him and Kate had their child uh, not too long ago. Mike is, is uh, fulfilling his fatherly duties. Uh, doing a great job as we all knew he would, but in all seriousness, congrats to, to Mike and, and Kate on, on their, their new child. Very, very happy for them. Um, and, you know, Mike will, Mike will probably take some time off uh, over the summer to uh, make sure that he's taking care of everybody at home, uh, which means it's just you and me, buddy. Yeah. You know, we got a podcast member on fraternity leave. And, you know, when we started this podcast, uh, you know, three, four years ago, whatever it was, if you told me that we'd have a member on fraternity leave, it would either have meant that the podcast was a hit and it worked out and we had a nice run, or there was a crazy unexpected accident given where we all were in our lives at that point. Luckily, it is the former rather than the latter, but hey. Let's jump right into it. But first, let's thank the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. Pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. So, Ricky, we're going to dive into the conference realignment stuff next week when Mike's buddy, Joey Weaver, from the Basketball Conference podcast, joins us for a collaborative podcast where we're going to really dive deep into those issues. But I want to talk about what's happening in the ACC right now because, for better or worse, every team in the ACC is locked in to a, you know, basically binding agreement to be in the conference till 2036. And with that being said, Ricky, changes are abound in the conference, notably on the scheduling front where the Atlantic and Coastal Divisions are no more, at least following the season. The ACC is moving to the 5-5-3 scheduling format where Virginia Tech will play five teams from the conference on, five off, and then three teams permanently every single year. Unsurprisingly for the Hokies, UVA is one of those teams. But when we were kind of thinking about this, because this has kind of been in the rumor mill for a long time, Miami was thrown out there. North Carolina was thrown out there. A lot of people expected maybe Boston College, given the fact that Virginia Tech had had their, you know, Atlantic crossover game with Boston College since the Hokies joined the conference back in 2004. Pittsburgh was also considered an option. If you picked that one, congratulations, you were correct. The Hokies and Pitt, and it looks like the Hokies have a lot of trips left to the hellhole that is Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But the surprise third team, the Steeman Deeks of Wake Forest, team that Virginia Tech has no real storied history playing. They've played you know, roughly every six years since the Hokies joined the conference. Ricky, some fans are up in arms about this. Some fans are crying foul. Some are saying the Hokies got screwed. What does Ricky LeBlue think of the way things all worked out? Well, it's important to note any time that 
the ACC is putting together something that even though Virginia Tech carried this conference for the better part of a decade um, in terms of football and being the only consistent football uh, presence that the ACC had for several years, Virginia Tech's going to play second fiddle in this conference more often than not. And that's just something we have to accept as, as tech fans, right? You've got so many big brands in this conference, not quite like the big 10 or the sec, which seem to be getting bigger every minute. Uh, but you look at Clemson and Florida state, Miami, North Carolina for all of their problems is still a, a very large brand. Um, so there are, there are schools that are going to be thought of prior to Virginia tech when it comes to the ACC. And we'll expand on that exact point um, on the next podcast with Joey and the basketball conference podcast, because that's ultimately what's going to end up deciding Virginia tech's future. Um, but in terms of this, let, let's, let's try a compliment first, right? Like it's a great thing for Virginia tech that we are no longer having to play Boston college every year. I, I think, we can all agree with that. Would you agree with that, Andrew? I am a-okay with that. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I I, I think everyone is kind of was tired of that series. Um, it was kind of born out of nothing. Virginia Tech and BC had no relationship uh, prior to this this crossover um, rival that the ACC's just kind of set up blindly, almost like they were throwing darts with a blindfold on. Um, so that that's the main thing. And I'm actually not upset about Pittsburgh. Um, tech fans uh, have built up a, a, a fair dislike for the Panthers over the last uh, several years. Virginia Tech and Pitt seem to always be playing in a pretty important game. Um, and yes, Virginia Tech has had their problems at Heinz Field, save for 2016. In uh, what was a really, really important win for Justin Fuente's uh, inaugural season. Um, and Wake Forest just seems kind of like a lazy pairing to me. Yeah, they're close, uh, right? Um, Winston-Salem's not far from, from Blacksburg. I don't know the exact time, but it's only a couple hours. Um, but that seems kind of like a lazy pairing. Uh, Wake kind of got the short end of the stick in, in a lot of this anyway. Um, they get Duke, which just has zero juice in terms of football. Georgia Tech, I don't really know where that matchup came from. And Virginia Tech, obviously, which they're just close. So um, Andy Bitter made a funny point when, when this got released not too long ago, uh, right before my birthday, actually, that if you had, if you had flipped Louisville and Virginia Tech in this chart that the ACC put out, it would have made actually pretty good sense, right? Because Virginia Tech would have ended up with Georgia Tech, who the Hokies have had a lot of battles with over the last several years. Um, Miami, right? That's that, that's an obvious one. And Virginia, which is still um, would, would still have been there. And then Louisville would have had Pitt, which makes perfect sense. Virginia, which I don't know if it makes perfect sense, but it's reasonable. Uh, and Wake Forest, which has as close of a relationship with Louisville as they do with the Hokies. So um, I don't hate it. it. It's not too bad, but I think we all just kind of have to understand that um, Virginia Tech's not going to get their 
their first choice in a lot of stuff as it relates to the conference. What is funny is poor, poor Dave Dorn, man. Dave Dorn has been living under Davis Sweeney's shadow for years at this point at NC State. And finally, the ACC is breaking up the divisions and going to more of a balanced scheduling system. Uh, and who does NC State get to play every year? First on the list, Clemson. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of the Wake Forest thing, like, I, I don't love it, but I get it. And I think it'll be good for, like, hooky fans, you know, especially students who are interested in going to away games, people who live in the – Yeah, you know, the it'll, it, it'll help for those, those quick road trips. But other than that, there's not much – there's not much there. Well, I here's where I kind of get lost in the complaints, right? It's like, yes, I would have loved to preserve the Virginia Tech-Miami game. And I think that if this scheduling decision was made in 2014 rather than 2022, that matchup still did have enough juice at that time, you know, as that historic rivalry dating back, you know, those previous 14 years that it probably would have been preserved. But over the course of the last decade, Virginia Tech and Miami have both really remained afterthoughts. So in a situation where the ACC, you know, isn't going to make everyone happy, they have no real incentive to match those two teams up when, you know, obviously we, we play the role of a natural rival with Pitt and, you know, for Wake Forest, Wake Forest just doesn't have that many natural competitors. I mean, you know, you could have him play Carolina every year. You could have him play NC state every year, but you know, Carolina is going to play NC state and Carolina is going to play Duke. But you got to preserve that trophy game that they have with UVA. Hey, you know, the, there are other rivalries in the conference that are, you know, more storied and to your point, Ricky, even beyond the, you know, the fact that Virginia Tech has kind of been playing second fiddle, you know, in, in a lot of terms and the fact that they haven't been so good on the gridiron. But, you know, the way that the ACC is, the powers that be in this conference have never respected Virginia Tech. They never initially wanted Virginia Tech, those people up on Tobacco Road, you know, in Greensboro that are making decisions. And they're going to be much more keen to preserve a rivalry like UNC UVA than they are Miami Virginia Tech. You know, especially when you're already giving Miami Florida State every year, and that's something that's going to be preserved. So I think it's unfortunate, but my solution for the Hokies is win. I mean, you know, this is only being scheduled four years out right now. That leaves open the possibility that assuming the conference is still in good shape and tenable five years down the line, they could switch that up. And if Virginia Tech puts themselves back in a position where they're going to be a power broker and Miami, you know, looks like in the age of NIL, they'll be well on their way. I, I feel like, you know, matchups with North Carolina and Miami are something that we could expect four years down the line. But at the end of the day, like, you know, playing Miami every other year and having to play Florida State every other year as well is a small price to pay for, you know, losing the yearly matchup. Because, Ricky, I, I, I've made this point a number of times that I, I think it rings true. Eight years living in Blacksburg for me, eight football seasons. Never saw Louisville come to the house once. Never saw Florida State in the lane once. It's unacceptable. Yeah. You know? and, and the reality is that for not just younger fans and fans who come in through college, but really all fans on the gridiron, you know, I don't have all that much animosity towards North Carolina State football. 
they've played Virginia Tech twice in the period of time since I went to college. Now you're able to really kind of drum up something of a rivalry where you have a bank of previous matchups to work with. Everyone's playing everyone. And I think it's going to boost the health of the conference overall, you know, as well as, you know, you look back to years where the ACC championship game was played between, you know, whoever Clemson and Florida state, could duke out back when Florida State was good and Clemson was on the rise. And then you know, that was during that period of true coastal chaos where you had all seven teams win over the course of that seven-year period without a team repeating. But if I'm not mistaken, no ACC champions, maybe, maybe Virginia Tech won one, I don't know. Regardless, I think getting the top two teams of the conference to play each other will make for a more well-respected conference at the end of the season and an ACC championship game that's worth watching because, you know, quite frankly, Clemson, UVA, Clemson, Pitt, when those clearly were not the the second fiddle in the conference, you know, it, it was an eyesore for the conference on a national stage when you have the Big Ten and SEC actually churning out reasonable matchups. So I think the pros overall outweigh the cons. But, you know, as we've seen Virginia Tech get in this conference time and time again, uh, it's the short of the stick for the Hokies. So prior to Pittsburgh winning the ACC this past season uh, when they defeated Wake Forest uh, in the ACC title game, which is just one hell of a title game, right? Like Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. Um, the last... And, that, and, and by the way, that's the... I'm just going to... I'm going to cut you off right here, Rick. People complaining about, oh, like, we're better than playing Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. You know, those are the last two teams in the ACC championship game. And in the case of Pittsburgh, they've beaten you twice in a row. In the case of Wake Forest, they beat you last time they played you. Before you say you're above things, how about we focus on beating Wake Forest and beating Pittsburgh, and then we can claim that we should get a better matchup. But continue. Who is the last Coastal team to win the ACC? That would be Virginia Tech in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> 12 freaking years. Or yeah, 11 two, years, I guess. 2010 was the last time uh, that the Coastal won the ACC championship game. Uh, Virginia Tech obviously made the title game in 2011 and got beat by Clemson. Um, and after, after that, it was Clemson and Florida State sharing the, sharing the role until 2015 when Clemson just started to win it every year. Um, but, yeah, Tech is – Tech's in a, a, a very interesting situation right now, and it, it, it rolls directly into the conference realignment discussion, which, again, we're going to have next week. Um, but I don't care what anyone says. Basketball does not drive Virginia Tech's brand. It's football. Football always has driven Virginia Tech's brand, and it always will. That's what the Virginia Tech fan base really, really cares about. Uh, if you had to pick either a uh, very, very good basketball team or a very, very, very good football team, and you could only have one of them, there is no doubt in my mind that 90-plus percent of the Virginia Tech fan base would pick a good football team. Football is what matters. Um, and Virginia Tech's football program just has not been 
competitive on a national level for several years. 2016 was basically an anomaly when Virginia Tech just kind of, you know, it was a flash in the pan type deal. They got hot. Gerard Evans was a very, very good quarterback uh, for, you know, for the college level. Um, they had a ton of talent on defense. Uh, that, that was such a one-off because if you look at Virginia Tech's last 10 seasons, this is not a, a nationally relevant program. And that's, that's a problem. And, and that's going to happen or, or excuse me, that's going to cause these types of things to happen where you end up getting stuck with Wake Forest uh, in a yearly crossover. But um, regardless of anyone's thoughts about the Virginia Tech's three crossover matchups, I think the overwhelming majority of the fan base would agree with what your point was, is that uh, finally Virginia Tech will be able to play the other teams in the conference more consistently. The scheduling model that the ACC set up several years ago was just not not a good one and you're right it, it's an absolute uh, abomination that a conference could allow one school to not make a visit to another school over an eight-year period um, thankfully we're not going to have to worry about that anymore and I do think it'll be a a, a big big positive for the conference if they're able to keep things together. And again, we'll touch on that in the next episode, but uh, as the conference is currently constituted, this is huge for the conference to try and generate more of those big time matchups. You know, I'm trying to come up with a quick example um, of rivals that weren't already playing each other that could have huge, huge impacts down the road. Um, and Clemson Miami games will have some juice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Clemson Miami games are, are going to be important anytime. Virginia, Virginia Tech, Tech games, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if Virginia Tech playing Florida State, like I, I know that both of those teams ended up being bad that year, but 2018 in Tallahassee was one of the best atmospheres that Virginia Tech has been to in a long time. Um, obviously 2014 Ohio state was, was, was crazy. Um, even the Notre Dame atmosphere in 2016, even though the, the weather kind of lessened the crowd a little bit, but that 2018 game in Tallahassee had as about as much juice as you could ask for. Um, and Virginia tech's now going to get to do that way more often, uh, than they otherwise were. So there's all sorts of possibilities that can happen. You're going to have ranked teams playing each other more consistently. Um, and also it's, it, it, it rewards a, a team like NC state, which has been a top four team in the conference for basically the last five years or so. Um, but they've never had a realistic shot at making the ACC turn or ACC championship until last season. Um, so things are definitely changing for the conference and, and should the ACC be able to keep their members uh, the, I think this is going to be huge. And I also find it interesting, like you mentioned, this is only until 2026. So what is this going to look like in 2027? I mean, undoubtedly there's going to be some changes, right. Or otherwise they would have scheduled this out further. 
For me, eight years in Blacksburg, no Florida State coming to town now. You come in as a freshman at Virginia Tech in 2023, and you are guaranteed to see every single team in the ACC come to Lane Stadium at least once. And if you're the college football road trip type, which I certainly was when I was in school, you had the opportunity to go on the road and visit all the houses as well, if you so choose. I think that makes for a healthier conference atmosphere. And like you said, Ricky, I mean, even you know, going back to when Clemson and Florida State were both kind of at the peak of their powers at the same time, maybe Florida State was on the decline a little bit, Clemson was on the rise. If we could have gotten another shot at that matchup year in and year out, that would have been a game to watch. And hopefully, you know, whether whoever the two teams may be in the future, you know, we're going to be able to see the best two teams by record in the conference play each other in the championship game every year. And, uh, you know, it's good for television. It's good for the conference's reputation. And ultimately, I think it's good for college football, uh, you know, and the, the rest of the implications, as we discussed, uh, will be discussed on a later podcast. But, Ricky, we know this is going to be a short one, but Hokies news and notes, a lot of commitments coming in. What are you thinking? Are you impressed? I know a lot of Virginia Tech fans were getting worried, you know, as recently as a month and a half ago that those commitments weren't piling up. You know, between Memorial Day weekend and the 4th of July, they seem to come in droves. There was a there was a stretch. I don't um, I don't remember the exact length that it lasted, but uh, Virginia Tech added a commit like once a day for like almost an entire week or something like that, which is pretty pretty solid momentum. Uh, that's that's the kind of stuff you're looking for. Um, for those listeners that have been listening to the podcast now for the last couple of years. I've kind of given up on on recruiting hype. I don't – I'm just not buying into it anymore uh, unless Virginia Tech starts to pull in, like, some some consensus five stars. Uh, I'm really not going to – I'm really not going to pound the table anymore. Um, to Virginia Tech's credit, they did get uh, Lauren Johnson's son, Braylon Johnson, from Highland Springs. Uh, I thought that was a really important one just for optics, really. Um, Lauren Johnson is obviously a well-regarded uh, Virginia Tech player from the past. Um, he is one of the best, if not the best, high school football coaches in the state. And uh, for several years, Virginia Tech struggled to recruit from Highland Springs. Um, Makai Beckton was one of their biggest misses. Uh, he was a Highland Springs guy. Uh, Makai ends up going to Louisville, ends up becoming a first-round draft pick for the New York Jets. Uh, but Braylon Johnson from Highland Springs, I don't know if he's going to be a great player, uh, but it sure is nice to be able to keep one of your your legacies um, in-house. Uh, other than that, I, I don't really have a comment on any of these other players. Um, I, I, I don't know what this class is going to look like long-term. Um, you're obviously going to have some of these guys bail at the last minute. That happens every year. And then you're going to have some guys, you know, come in at the last minute. That happens every year. The one thing I think that's really worth noticing is the number of, uh, or excuse me, are the number of players from the state of Virginia in this class. Um, there's like eight or so. Let me count them real quick. There's three, four, five, six, seven, seven Virginia players, <clears throat> excuse me, in this class right now um, out of 15. 
So that was almost unheard of in the Justin Fuente era. Um, and I think that trying to bring some of your recruiting closer to home will, will help you long-term in the state. Um, and also it should help in the transfer portal because you've got guys that are closer to home anyway, and they're not um, going to be looking at more attractive options closer to their house. So we'll have to wait and see. Virginia Tech hasn't committed any four-star recruits to this point. I think that's worth noting. Um, but the Hokies seem to have really started to get the meat and potatoes of the class. Um, and also it's important to note, and we've mentioned it on the podcast before, that this class is not going to be as um, as meaningful when we start to look at Brent Pry's ability to recruit as a head coach, just because he doesn't have the he didn't have the 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 time frame that's necessary to recruit uh, players for this class. He just didn't start early enough. Now, twenty twenty four will be a lot more of an important year. Um, and 2025 after that, which we're just so far out from, who knows what that's going to look like. But uh, it's still early for the Hokies. We'll see how the, the rest of the summer goes. They just entered a dead period. Um, and, you know, the, the fall season will be obviously really, really important. Virginia Tech needs to put on a good show for some of these, uh, some of these players because, um, like we mentioned on the podcast, Virginia Tech's reputation nationally and within the state is a bit tarnished right now considering the program hasn't been very good uh Brent Pry's got to fix that yeah Ricky I mean I'm right there with you it's uh I mean it's something of a of a disgrace I would say that you know Justin Fuente and his staff had tarnished that relationship with Highland Springs you know given that you know it's it was I mean you know it's the best high school and state football wise are among the best certainly among the most high caliber prospects just an example really quick andrew um forgive me if i'm mispronouncing his first name darrell robinson is from saint francis in baltimore he's a running back supposedly virginia tech really really wants this kid um he's a a mid-level three-star guy uh but the the, the scuttlebutt is that Boston College is atop his list. And it's worth, you know, watching uh, if Virginia Tech is not able to break that, um, that problem that they're going to lose or they might lose a player to Boston College. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not good for the program uh, if Virginia Tech is struggling to recruit head-to-head against that school. Yeah, that would not be ideal, Rick. But, I mean, you also have to keep in mind that Boston College and that coaching staff has been in his ear for multiple years. Sure. And, yeah. and, and you know, it, it's tough to come in at the final hour, even, you know, for this 2023 class and, and you know, try to reestablish yourself. I would say that I'm not going to cry foul if that happens, you know, here in the 2023 class. But if we're seeing similar things in 2024, 2025, that's when you really have to wonder. I don't think it's indicative of pry if they lose on this on this recruit, but it's just another symptom of the the broader issue, which is Virginia Tech's national brand needs to be repaired. And that's not Brent Pry's fault. Brent Pry didn't do anything to get Virginia Tech in this position. Uh, but it does mean that he's got quite the quite the fix ahead of him. 
Yeah, I mean, you're right, Rick. It, it, it is just one of those things where, you know, the CEO who comes in to take over the, the declining company isn't necessarily responsible for the fact that the company is declining, but he is now responsible for trying to bring the company back. And that's the job that Brent Pry has ahead of him. And, you know, it's clearly not going to be easy, but, you know, you, you see, you know, some of these tea leaves that we can read coming in. And I would say that, you know, signs are positive so far, but if we do see, you know, a high level guy commit to Boston College or Virginia Tech, it, it certainly would be indicative of the fact that there's certainly more work left to be done. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Rick, you got anything else for us before I, uh, pop into champs for my my one night stay in blacksburg before i head to baltimore tomorrow um if you see a cool hat you need to get me one um i'm i'm just really jealous that you're going to an orioles game and i'm not uh especially since the orioles are relevant again uh for my first first winning month in five years since 2017 yeah and if you go back like the full calendar month from yesterday or the day before, we were like the fourth or fifth best record in the AL. So uh, for everyone who's following the podcast that's a baseball fan, um, you need to watch more Orioles games because we actually don't stink now. Um, But, yeah, just make sure you rate, review, subscribe. Uh, Send Mike uh, a nice note uh, congratulating him on fatherhood. He's really excited about it, and he uh, should be. Uh, I'm really excited for him and I'm looking forward to getting him back uh, when he gets everything settled in at home. Um, but yeah, we're, we're on Twitter. I have a column up uh, from DallasDistrict.com about conference realignment. I think it's a, a really interesting take that I haven't read anywhere else. So I'm kind of glad that I thought of it when I did. Uh, so go read that. It's on my Twitter uh, pinned at the top um and make sure you follow all of us on twitter uh at rick of the blue at mike mcdaniel si and at andrew alex radio true that true that all right folks shout out to the good folks over at main street pharmacy we'll talk to you next week we're either going to be recording monday tuesday or wednesday i just need to confirm that but it will be happening a big conference realignment conversation why is uva getting more talk for the big 10 and the sec and Virginia Tech never seems to be mentioned. We'll dive into that question, among many others. We'll look at the broad spectrum of the ACC and its future. It's very exciting stuff. We probably won't take as long of a break as we did in the past month and a half, you know, basically until football season's over and really until next basketball season's over. So I was going to say, you figure it's only a couple more weeks until, you know, preseason camp starts. Yep. No, we can actually start talking about, uh, the gridiron rather than you know the other stuff which i think is good for us and and good for our listeners as well so we appreciate you all and we'll talk to you soon and as always go hokies